And I pray that right now you are like me and that I don't really know exactly what I need, but I know one thing. I know that I'm desperate for God to be who he says he is. I'm desperate. I'm going to tell you, I want us desperate because it is only in our desperation where we're going to have the strength to demolish strongholds. I'm not kidding you. We got to be desperate for him. I want to give you three truths and I want you to remember them from this point forward because I believe that if you know these three truths, I believe that no matter what happens outside you or inside you, it will not crush you. It's three simple truths that I'm gonna prove it to you through the Word of God. But I really believe that if you will lay claim to this, take hold of this, breathe it in as though it is your very life, that no matter what external turmoil you go through or internal turmoil, I think this, this will ground you and center you and make you well. It's this, it's very simple. When I say it, you're gonna go, duh, but this is it. I want you to write it down. Number one, there is a plan. There is a plan. Number two, absolutely everything is a part of the plan. (laughs) Absolutely everything is a part of the plan. And number three, and the best one, Jesus is the point of the plan. (laughs) Jesus is the point of the plan. So there is a plan, absolutely everything in your life is a part of the plan. And number three, Jesus is the point of the plan. And I did not make this up. I got this straight from the word of God. Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse five. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, in all insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will. Woo! Now that takes you for a ride. I want you to see some context around this that I think is going to blow you away. First of all, when anytime you read the word purpose or plan, specifically, as the Apostle Paul is writing in here, purpose or plan, the Greek word there, which is so much better than any of our English translations, the Greek word is boule, boule. And that is our English word for blueprint. So when you think about the plan of God or the will of God for your life, it's not so much something that is going to happen. The plan or the will of God for your life is more so what is happening. And I want you to have this visual picture that you hold forever of a house and a blueprint. Have you ever built a house or have you ever had any reason for a blueprint? Raise your hand if you've actually seen, put your eyes on a blueprint. Yes, most of you. And when when my husband Justin and I built our first house, the contractor laid out the blueprint and it was absolute chaos to me. 
it freaked me out a little bit because I, I couldn't tell where the living room was or the bathroom was, and I certainly couldn't tell why that court wire went to that um, light switch. Nothing made sense, but the contractor, the architect, knew exactly the whole picture. The blueprint made sense to him. He could see the purpose for the house, not just the whole house in the whole big picture, but he could see how every room was purposed and useful to that house. And oftentimes, that's so profound to me that the plan or the purpose, the boule, the blueprint of our life, it, it feels like that to us sometimes, just chaotic and messy and we can't really read it and we don't really understand how this hallway leads to this. Or, and then so many rooms in our house are still dark. There's so many rooms in our house of our life that we've just left the door closed on. We've never turned the light on. We've got um, bed sheets covering the furniture. We don't want to go in that room. And we know it's in the house, but we don't see how it's useful or purposeful to the eternal whole picture of God. So I, I want you to see that first and foremost. And then secondly, I want you to know that the language here, the word, words here are written in the present perfect tense. Did you catch that? which he has blessed us in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood. Having been pre okay, that's all the present perfect tense. And let me tell you what a present perfect tense is. It's an action or a state that occurred at an, at an indefinite time in the past and continues in the present. It's an action or a state that occurred in an indefinite time in the past but continues in the present. Now, I want to read that. I want to read this again. I want to pull out these heavy-hitting words for you in the present perfect tense because this changes the game. So what if I said to you, you are presently, who you are right now in Christ, you are adopted. You are blessed. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. There has been grace lavished upon you. You can know the will of God. You have inherited eternity. And everything in your life is working according to the will of God. This is profound. And it radically changes how we are responding to every experience and person in our entire life because we no longer are reacting from something that might be, from something we wish were. Instead, we are responding from who we already are. And this changes our life. What if you were all of these things already, no matter who you've been or what you're doing or what you will do? What if not one thing you've done or will do compromises your position in Christ? Now that is freedom. And if I can begin to respond to every external thing from my internal position, do you see how that transforms my life? Do you see how that transforms my marriage, my relationship with my friends, and how I go to church and how I show up? I also want you to notice that I said according to. Did you hear according to a lot? Apostle Paul wrote according to through, through the counsel of God's Spirit, according to five times. That's really important. 
You know why this is important? Because who you are, your identity, who you are right now is not according to anybody else. It's not according to your parents. It's not according to that friend that rejected you. It's not according to social media. It is according to the finished, final, eternal, holy, sovereign will of God. (laughs) And we got to get this. And so I'm asking you to, I'm asking you, how does your life right now prove this is true? When people are watching you, how is your life proving to them that you believe this? And, and, and if you don't know the answer to that, well, then what would need to change for you to believe it? Because, you know, that's what faith is. Faithfulness is not us going out and making something happen. Faithfulness is not us going out and creating something new. It is apprehending what is already true. That is spiritual maturity. That is grace. That is faithfulness. That is obedience. That we are claiming what is rightfully ours in Christ every day. We are waking up and we are taking it. That is obedience. That is, that's why I want to do it. That's why I want to go to church. That's why I want to show up at a, at a women's conference. That's why I want to know you. That's why I want to read my Bible because I'm already these things. I'm not, I'm not rushing around exhausting myself trying to fix you and fix me and fix my husband. Bless. I mean, it's not that I don't know how to. I'm just saying. We're not, we're not just exhausting ourselves trying to be a better version of ourselves. I just think this, there's so much goodness here. I, I want, are you hearing it with me? Up there? It's good news. It's really good news. And we, here's the thing though, we know that we doubt it. We know that stuff happens in our life that tempts us to believe otherwise. And we, we get the taste and the thrill of that one more commitment and that one more thing we can volunteer and that one more, yes, we can just to try to fix or align or be a better or work harder or earn our favor. We know this, this drive. Why do we do this? Why do it's the same reason? It's the same reason it took the Israelites 40 years to make an 11 day track. It's the same reason that King David would become the man he said he would never become. After walking with the Lord for years, for decades. It's the same reason that Peter, the bedrock of the church, would be standing eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. And Jesus would say, there is still sin in you to be worked out. Eyeball to eyeball. See, it wasn't that Peter didn't believe in God. He just didn't believe him. And God is working in your whole life to prove himself to you. That his love is true. It's unconditional. It's radical. And that he wants you. I'm going to tell you why we doubt the plan of God in our life, why we doubt the will of God, because it hasn't changed a lick since Genesis 3. We will always doubt the plan of God in our life when we believe we have a better one. That's a simple version. 
when we think we have a better one. Genesis 3, 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, I've read this growing up in the church, just like you have uh, hundreds of times. And I've studied this passage and I, pr I preach and teach this passage a lot because it points to our human condition that's always really been the same. Did God really say are the four words that will precede pretty much any um, pitfall into distrusting God, into habitual patterns of sin that you will have. You're going to hear those same four words whispering in your ear when you are in a weakened state. Did God really say that he loves you no matter what? Did God really say that man of yours is the man you're supposed to be with for the rest of your life? Did God really say that you're supposed to show up for church even though the church is really broken and you've been hurt by it? Yeah, you're supposed to keep going. See, these are the four words you're going to hear whispered, but I want you to see something even deeper, and this has been profound to me as I've been studying this, because here's what I'm asking myself, sister. I'm asking myself, what was this point of compromise for Eve, for me in my own life? What, and many of you know my story, and I won't spend a ton of time on it right now, because I have so much, and, um, but you know that I, I've had, I've lived a life of rebellion from, a, I mean, I had a lot of wounding in my childhood, a father who walked away, a lot of alcoholism, abandonment issues, and uh, suffered rape and sexual abuse as a teenager, and it was horrific, and the trauma in my life led to absolute fallout in every way, and I was really angry at God and thought he'd broken his promise, and I took it out on God every way that I could conceive. Even as a Christian woman, even as a leader in the church, how could a leader in the church, a Christian woman who professed Christianity, be so broken on the inside, so messed up internally, and then acting out a fool in ways that would devastate her family, devastate her community, to be the version of yourself you said you would never become, to be the girl with the scarlet letter, the adulteress. Where, and, and I've, had, I've had along the way, as I tell this story now, 10 years, I'll have really sharp, poignant questions, and they're good. They've helped me to think through parts of my life 
But the, the main one that I get, honestly, through an email or a direct message or just in person is, why did you cheat on your husband? And so this point of compromise for me is really important. I want to know. I'm going to tell you, it's not because I didn't love God. It's not because I wasn't standing eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. See, I loved God tremendously. I just didn't believe he loved me back. And that is why I believe that you can be a Christian all day long and go into church and lead in all the things and be in absolute bondage and captivity. And I'm here because, sister, I can't stand for you to leave and that be the case. I want you to hold your head high. I want you to walk in the freedom that is yours out of shame and condemnation despite what your past may look like. Not in spite of it, but absolutely in it, through it, purposed by it. So when the woman saw, I had to sit with that. And I don't know why, until this, I'm preparing for this week, I've never gone and actually looked at the root. You always said, when you're studying the word of God, always go look at the original text. It is so much richer and better. Because the English saw, I mean, it's like I'm seeing something visually. That's what the first thing, I, but that's not at all what it means. It's the Hebrew word, ra'ah. Now let me just hang on. Hang on to your seat. This word, when Eve saw, this is what it means, the word means to consider until you decide. Eve was considering, and we don't know how long she considered, did God really say, the lie of the serpent. The serpent knew that he had to go to her and ask a question, like any good therapist. I'm a licensed counselor, and so that's what we know. We can't really come up with the answer for someone. You ha we have to ask good questions, help you reframe, but you actually have to answer the question for it to be true of you, real of you. You have to decide. And we give you as counselors different ways of considering, different ways of looking. But how long really did Eve consider this choice? It could have been, for all we know, hundreds of years. Because I'm gonna tell you something. She didn't just turn on a dime. I, I mean, I, am, I could be wrong. I'll know one day. But she'd been walking with the Lord. She loved the Lord. She was sustained in every way. She was provided for in every way. The serpent didn't just come up and she just decided to distrust God. It was not that simple. I think she thought about it. I think she considered it for a long time. And, and, and in her mind, look, we know how she rationalized. Did you hear me list three things that she said to herself, how she considered? It's good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. And it's desirable to make me smart. It checked the boxes. And, and I want you to notice something. Are any one of those things in and of themselves a bad or evil thing? Yeah. No. The fruit that she's holding is neutral. It's not about the fruit. It's a neutral thing. It's what priority she is placing on the fruit. And she is saying, as she's considering, wait, this all makes sense. And they're, they're outright, they're good things. Food, survival, 
visually appealing, makes me smarter, wise. Okay, God actually says okay to all that. He's he wants you to enjoy life. He's providing for you. But God knows that he's made your heart to worship something. And as she's considering, do you see what's happening? As she's considering this choice, there's two things going on. One, our hearts are made to worship something. They will always be worshiping something. But do you see how she's slowly starting to place the priority from the creator onto the created? Suddenly, a piece of fruit has value that can help her survive, that can make her smart. It's appealing to her eyes and her senses. A piece of fruit. Now, you might be thinking, as I were at first, that's silly. How in the world is she assigning so much value to an inanimate, neutral thing? And as I was thinking that thought, you know what I did? Opened up Instagram. And man, it hit me like, whoa. Maybe this is my fruit, this phone that I'm carrying. You see, it, our, our heart slowly gravitates to worship an inanimate, created thing, but then it does it in a specific way if you're a Christian. You see, the things that she's saying, it's not so much. Her sin, Eve's sin, Christian, daughter, sister, our sin is not that we desire to distrust God. Our sin is that we desire to help him be God. Do you see the subtle line of sabotage? And women, we are so good at it. Our sin is not the outright external thing. It's not the behavior. It's really not the word. Our sin is that desire that is that fine line between good, the thing itself. I mean, we can take something good like going to church and serving on a committee and it be a sinful thing in our life because we are using that thing to help God out to fix the situation, to be God more. And that is where the enemy wants you. In that muddy, shallow water where it could be a spiritual thing, over-spiritualizing everything, looking at everybody else. You see what I'm saying? Satan wants you to justify your sin for the sake of God. Oh, you want to know why I cheated on my husband? Because I loved my lie more than God. At the end of it, that's it. I spent my whole life investing in this thing. I had spent my whole life, every resource and energy and all of my thoughts into this identity that I'd created, that I was unwanted. And yes, life and people had affirmed that in so many ways but I really believe that's who I was. And I became an adult that internally felt at the end of it, at the most honest place, if I really said how, who I was and how I felt that someone would reject me. And so over time, I justified my sin for the sake of other people. I justified my adultery for the sake of not hurting anybody. So I'll keep the secret here. My hypocrisy stays hidden so that nobody gets hurt. And that's, that's where the enemy wants me. 
I love my lie more than God. And my lie had become comfortable. It had become home to me. And let me tell you something. If the lie was not true, I'd wasted a lot of time. My question to you is, is there a lie? Is there a lie in your life that you have considered for so long that you have decided it is true? Where are you, Ra'ah? Where have you seen? Where are you thinking about this and rolling it over and rehearsing this? And somewhere along the way, maybe you're not even sure where that turning point was. I don't think Eve could qualify or, or pinpoint an exact time where her heart shifted from the worship of a creator to the created. But I'm asking you, where is that time? Have you been considering something so long you decided it's truth? And let me tell you something, baby. God brought you here to tell you the truth about who he is and who you are. He wants to crush this lie. He wants you to walk out of here today a free person. And the only thing that makes sense to me is he brought you here to receive it. Because listen, Christian lady, you got my number and I got yours. And we can tell everybody about how great God is and we can talk about his grace and we can know all the scripture and we can pray over people and we can go a whole Christian lifetime never receiving it for ourselves. Pointing everybody else to him and never saying, I am adopted, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I have received the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And that is who I am according to God. All right, so I'm gonna read this Psalm over you because this is David and he is a grown man and he is writing this from a place of, of a broken heart as he has become the man he said he would never become. And as I read this, will you, you can close your eyes, you can open your hands, whatever you wanna do, but I just want you to hear it inside your soul as a prayer as a prayer to God right now, behold, you delight in truth in my inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Woo! That is the way that God tells you the truth. That is what it looks like for God to tell you the truth. He is talking to your secret heart. He is talking to the place in you that you don't even know yet. He is talking to all the coping and self-preservation and habitual patterns of guarding love, all the qualifications that we've put for people to enter the most honest place of our life. That is the place he is talking to. The word of God goes into the joints and marrow, into the recesses of the things we don't know yet. So I'm saying, you gotta let God rupture what you think you know. We're not all fully there. 
It's the secret heart. And look what he's doing. He's purging. Do you know what it is to purge? It is to rid yourself of something. To rid yourself. And I love, this is beautiful, that David would use hyssop. Do you know what? Hyssop is a medicinal plant. And in that time, it was used, get this, it's like our modern day expectorant. So hyssop would be used on the chest in an oil or you would breathe it in, but it, it, it opens up congested airways. I love this. This work that God is doing to tell you the truth is because he wants you to breathe again. He wants you to enjoy life again. And look, look at this, look at this. The bones that you have broken rejoice. Who gets credit for these broken bones? Satan? Nope. An enemy, a person? Nope. The very God, the very bones that David is attributing to God breaking, allowing to be the plan of his life. He is saying, I want those bones to rejoice. He is not saying, God, once you heal those bones, once you make everything right in my life, I want that place to be happy. No. He's saying, the very bones that are broken can cry out in joy from the place of brokenness. And I'm going to tell you this too. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. If anything's going to be created or renewed, you've got to have the raw material to work with. God is not over on social media finding somebody's prettier, filtered, perfectly lit life to feed into yours. He wants to use your life, the one he's given you, the experiences he's given you. He has put it on purpose. He is taking the very natural, raw resource of your own experience and saying that, daughter, I want you to work into that. I want you to look at that. I want you to see how that can bless someone, serve someone, be the calling. Stop exhausting yourself looking at everybody else. Stop trying to be what they're trying to be. I have given you a whole life. Acts 17, 27, I have allotted your boundaries and your dwelling place at this point in history in the neighborhood that you live in with the family you were born to and that's what it was meant. So stop wishing for somebody else's. Come on now. We got to get real about this. I'm telling you, that breathes life into me. Because of anybody that's got a life she wants to dismiss or downplay, it's me. And the fact that I am standing in front of you sharing it with sisters that I know in the audience and have walked this with me, it is proof in the existence of a good God who uses the most unlikely. Everything, absolutely everything is a part of the plan. And then finally, deep breath, Jesus is the point of the plan. Verse 10 from Ephesians 1, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. Every external relationship, every internal feeling, it's triggering a reality of God that you need to deal with. Everything in your life is unifying you to Jesus. It's making you more like him. And we've got to watch this, sister, because we live in a world that is pumping hashtag self-care down our throat. And it's not so bad that, that self-care, that's all right. But look, 
We are supposed to be the image of God. We are supposed to be conforming to the identity of Jesus Christ and unifying, coming online with who he is. And my Jesus bled and died on a cross. He sacrificed his life for the sake of others. He took burdens that were not his and he absorbed them into the pores of his skin. And that is what it looks like for our life to start to rally, unify, align with Jesus. It is sacrificial. It can be painful, absolutely. So let me give you three ways as we start to wrap up. Three parts of our life, and there's nothing about any of these that are gonna feel just light and airy. They're gonna be a challenge and they're meant to be. I want a lot of fire as we leave here. All right, I got that front row. They are lit in a holy way. Hear me say. First and foremost, how we're going to align ourselves with Jesus. We're going to let the scheme, listen to me for a second, I'll explain it. We're going to let the scheme strengthen us for battle. What do I mean by that? Ephesians 6. 11 through 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What I mean by that is the very fact that there is a scheme for your life should tick you off. You got to get mad about it. And if you don't feel the fire of battle. If you don't have some broken bones, if bruises, scratches, bloody nose from time to time, you're not close enough to the fight, baby. You've got to get off the sidelines because what, God, what Satan wants is for us to be apathetic, lazy, doing the same thing, hanging out in our church Christian circles. That's easy. You got to know you're in the fight for your life. And if he's got a plan of attack on you, then you better have a plan of attack for him. And so a part of the encouragement I'm going to give you as you leave here is, listen, we don't fight against flesh and blood. And somebody just needs to hear this right here. Sister, wife, your husband is not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy your church leaders are not the enemy. Your friend is not the enemy. You have a very real enemy and he is not flesh and blood, but he has a plan for your life. Don't you sit back and take it because you have the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ to help you wage war against the enemy. Don't you lay down. You put on the armor and you get back in the game and you fight for your marriage. And you fight for that friendship that's hard and complicated and whatever. You get in that church and you stay and you fight. You go back and you offer forgiveness because you know the first time around you didn't do it. You let somebody off of your hook. I'm not, I'm not kidding y'all. I want us to walk out of here with a plan of action. Start walking around my house. Quit trying to fix all my kids. Lord knows my kids are sinners. I'm telling you, they start to act right when I start saying, in the name of Jesus, 
I don't say go to your room, get in your corner. I say, in the name of Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, sister, you get up every day and you look at, you, you just say, Satan, you know what? If it's a war you want, it's a war you're going to get. You've got to let the scheme make you mad enough to strengthen you for the fight. Number two, you've got to let the siftingness of your sin bring you out of that secret. You've got to let the sift that happened to Peter standing right there, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. Peter, you can read it in Luke 22. Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know what it is to sift? You might be in a sift right now. It's, let me tell you the, the definition of the word sift. It's to examine something thoroughly so as to isolate that which is most important and useful. So you may be coming out of or know someone who is in the fight for their life as far as habitual sin. And I'm going to tell you that is where I would find myself at the end of this siftingness. Where I'm taking the thing, the most unlikely thing, the most reckless thing, the most disgusting thing about my life. And every day I'm waking up and I'm praising God that my husband has chosen me. That he has chosen to stay and fight and give me grace and forgiveness but it didn't just get better overnight. I had to wage war against the enemy and I had to come to the end of myself. I had to let the sift have its way and expose every secret. I had to walk through that house and go to every room and turn it on. Every light, open every door, I love that Jesus looks at Peter and he says, but I'm going to pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, it wasn't if Peter was going to turn. A Christian, if you are a Christian, you will not sin successfully. There will come an end. If you've been caught in a habitual pattern of sin, if you have a stronghold in your life, there will come an end to it. If you are a true believer in Christ, you will not sin successfully. It may just about kill you off. Let me tell you, I would find myself on the floor attempting to take my life. So when I'm saying, kill me off, I'm saying, I really believe, the core of me believed that this life would be better without me in it, and I attempted that. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to let Satan have his way with you so that you get to the end of this thing. And when you come out of that, it's not a matter of if, it's when you turn and you're going to have more faith than you know what to do with. And it's going to strengthen you to serve because you're isolating this thing out, which is the work that I've done now. That's why I write books and I'm here. I isolate this thing and I say, what is most important? What is most useful of even the thing that I tried to dismiss for so long? And I'm able to serve the brothers, the sisters with that because now guess what? I've got to go into those rooms. You know why? More people are coming to my house. 
And so for you, maybe it's a small group, maybe it's a Bible study, maybe you're serving, but the more you are aware of your past, of your life, the more honesty you have, the more forefront you are, the more exposed you are, you realize you're running out of room because everybody wants to be around you. The honesty of you, the integrity, the authenticity, the realness of you is attractive to people and they wanna come to your house and you need the room so you gotta go and turn the lights on and get the chairs out. It's gonna push you out of the survival mode, so let it happen. And then finally, because all of us just have pain and loss and suffering, and I wanna encourage you to let the suffering in your life secure you to the love of God. You know it can do that, right? The pain, the loss, the things that are unexplainable, the cancer diagnosis, those anchor you to the promise, to the love of God so that you can truly say that you consider your present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that is being revealed in me and will be, Romans 8, 18. He loves you so much. He doesn't just love you. He wants you. And you may feel like you are kicking, your, kicking and screaming your way to him. He's going to keep coming after you. <laughs> My husband would say the most beautiful words to me, totally in the spirit, changed the game for me at the end of my season of adultery and in absolute brokenness and despair, sincere darkness and hopelessness, Justin said, Casey, I don't know how to not love you. And I'm so thankful that my marriage has been so fully restored. 20 years later, he's here on the front row. And I know that's not everyone's story. But I want you to know that no matter what, you are in the perfect will of God. And he wants you to know him as your reality. He wants you to know that he doesn't know how to not love you. Jesus is here to love you. It's all he knows to do. And you can kick and scream and prostitute yourself out to lesser loves and justify all day long. And he is going to keep coming after you and showing up in your life until you believe it. So sister, will you believe it today? Will you receive the grace that is yours fully? Will you confess to your, yourself, to God, to one another. Maybe secrets that you have had locked away for so long where you ask God to expose, to breathe his hyssop into these congested, chaotic places of our mind, of our heart. He will use the actual life that we have lived to create and renew and restore the most impossible things. And will you walk out of here 
fighting. Fighting for what is already yours. (laughs) Believing him for who you are. Let me pray for you. Father God, you are the reality, our very existence, our very breath. And right now in your name, Jesus, I pray against the works and the effects of the enemy in every way. In your name, Jesus, I pray that every soul within the sound of my voice is trembling with the truth of who you are. Lord, that forgiveness, redemption, adoption, blessing is so real to them. It's like breathing. Help us trust you, God. Help us trust you with the worst of the worst, the wounds of our life, the unanswered parts of our life, the most complicated, complex relationships in our life. The thing that we are terrified to say out loud. Lord, will you help our heart to trust you right now in ways that it never has before? Will you make us fight and mad at the scheme of the enemy against our life? And help us to put on you to go back into this world to serve, to love, to see, not from a place of need and deficiency, but from a place that is so fully and finally loved in you. May we overflow in every way and restore all broken pieces in our life. May we trust you more every day. It's in your name we believe and we trust and we pray. And every single sister in this room said with me,